Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Hey, welcome to Live Free Church Online. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Uh, my name is David McMaster. I'm a pastoral apprentice here at Live Free Church. Um, we're going through a sermon series called Sent, um, and we're looking at the, the book of Acts. Um, and if you've missed any of our, our sermons, you can go back and, and watch them on YouTube, Facebook, um, or download the podcast. Have you ever had to make a big decision? For those of you who might not know me, um, I grew up in Salmon Arm, about an hour's away from Kelowna. And I grew up uh, going to church there, and, and at one point, Colby was actually my youth pastor. Fast forward a few years, and I ended up working alongside Colby for about a year in youth ministry. And about two years ago, and you've probably heard the story, Colby went to do a church planning assessment, which was basically um, just seeing if you're, if you're capable of planning a church. And, and after Colby passed that, he came back. And I remember at one point, he, he came to me and, and asked if I would consider coming to Kelowna to help plant Live Free Church. And I remember in that moment being intrigued, but also terrified. And I knew there was a decision that needed to be made um, because it would cost a lot. And so there's two things I know I needed to do. I needed to pray and I needed to seek God's will. And so through prayer, through, through seeking God's will in scripture and in people around me, we ultimately ended up in Kelowna. Now I tell you that story because today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that shows a large decision that needs to be made. And this passage will show us how, how God's will is in prayer and scripture. And I think for a lot of us, there are decisions that we need to seek God in, God's will in. And maybe that's moving to a new town or new city. Maybe that's a career choice or choosing to go to school. Or maybe it's, it's a cause to support or to not support, to give something up or to not give something up. I think it's also important to just seek God for who God is, to be in his presence because I believe when we're in his presence, when we engage God, that's when we'll start to understand his will and his purposes. So today we're looking at a passage in Acts, and we're going to be talking about apostles. And if you haven't heard that term, it's um, a people sent on a mission. And specifically, capital A apostles had, had requirements. They had to be chosen by Jesus they had to be baptized by John the Baptist, and they had to be a witness to the death and resurrection. And Jesus had originally chosen 12. And if you remember Judas, we've all heard the term Judas, and Judas, um, he rejected Jesus. He sold him out. And so he was no longer an apostle. And so this passage is going to be looking at replacing Judas. And there's two things I want you to notice as we read the passage is consider the areas where it mentions prayer and where they sought God's leading and his will. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1, um, verses 12 to 26, and um, we'll start at verse 12. 
When they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They were, all, they were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So I'm just going to take a moment to explain what's happening so far. Um, it says that they returned from the Mount of Olives. And if you remember from last week, Jesus had come down after his resurrection and uh, was revealing himself alive for about 40 days. And after that 40 days on the Mount of Olives, um, he ascends back to heaven where we're in anticipation of Jesus returning again. And so after he ascends in front of the apostles, he, they move back to Jerusalem where they're gathered in what some translations also say the upper room. And take notice that they're with Mary and Jesus' brothers, which I think is actually significant because um, what would you have to do to convince your own sibling that you're the son of God? I don't think it would ever happen unless, of course, that person died, resurrected, and showed themselves to you. So let's continue on in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that Scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was of one of our number and shared in his ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language, the field is called Hekeladama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in the apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. So I don't know if you're like me. I, I had a lot of questions coming out of this passage. Talking about an upper room, a body bursting open, lots being cast. It's kind of a strange passage. But here's what's happening. The apostles, they're united with the disciples, about 120 people in this upper room. It was speculated to be sort of the place where, where the Last Supper happened. Peter stands up and, and basically he gives a speech. He says, remember Judas. Remember the tragedy. Remember that God had predicted this and that God told us that he needs to be replaced. So they put two forward people, 
two people forward, Barsabas and Matthias, through prayer and seeking God's will, they cast lots and then they choose Matthias. So there's two things I want us to look at today. First is prayer. The second is God's purpose found in scripture. Prayer was a mark of the early church. When they were fearful, when they were confused, when they're waiting for God to fulfill his promises, or even answer a question about who should be the next apostle, they prayed. So the first question that I have for you is, do you pray? For those of you who might be new to Christianity, prayer is simply talking to God. There's different types of prayer. There's praying for people on their behalf. There's, there's confession to God. There's thanksgiving and praise. There's asking for needs or praying against spiritual warfare. Now, a few years ago, I went through a bit of a, a fishing dry spell. And I, I went out a lot that year, and I couldn't catch a fish to save my life. I tried many different techniques, different lakes, different advice from all these different fishermen that I knew. I even bought a fish finder to see if I could figure out where all the fish are. But I remember at one point, <laughs> I took my wife out and still couldn't catch a fish, but I happened to give her the rod for a few minutes and she literally caught a fish. So in my frustration, I found myself praying to God for a fish. And here's what happened. God never answered that prayer. At least that year, he didn't. But I kept going out. And as I prayed to God, I found that I was continue praying to God. And here's what, what God taught me that I needed him and not the fish. And fishing became a place where I could, I could spend hours just being in the presence of God. Now think about the apostles. They had intimacy with God. They knew him as Lord, they knew him as teacher, and they knew him as a friend. And I could imagine at that ascension when they see him go back to heaven, anticipating his return again one day, that it would have been a pretty hard goodbye but he promised he would come back. But where could the apostles go to be in the presence of Jesus? Prayer. They go to the upper room and they unite together in prayer. So then, the question I have for you, are you looking for intimacy with Christ? How often do you come to prayer wanting something from God instead of just wanting God? I remember um, a a few months ago, I did this conference called Soul Care. And one thing in particular stood out to me um, was the story that the teacher, his name is Rob, was, was telling us. And he said that he took his staff team um, of a church on a retreat. And on that retreat, he, he wanted to um, spend all night praying to God from 7 p.m. all the way to 7 a.m., all night. Just him and the Lord. And, and the youth pastor kind of caught wind of that and said, okay, actually, I want to do that too with you. I want to try praying all night. And so they do. They, they start at seven. They go all the way to seven in the morning. And Rob, the pastor at that time, looks at the youth pastor who looks a little bit disappointed. And he asks him, why, like, what's going on? And the youth pastor says, well, I was expecting God to do something incredible. Like we spent all night praying and nothing really happened. Nothing, I don't feel different." It didn't seem like anything happened. 
And, and Rob looks at, at this guy and he says, well, the point of, of praying all night was not to get something from God. It was to be with God. You know, for me, I wanted a fish. But I'm glad that God didn't answer that prayer right away because I didn't need a fish. I needed to spend some time with him. And he showed me that. The apostles wanted more of Jesus, and so they united together in prayer and in anticipation. The early church was marked by prayer. They united in prayer, and they sought God's will out in prayer. Tim Keller says this great quote. He said, The basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will to his. And I think the apostles, they demonstrated that. Which leads me to my second point. But I want to start first by asking a a question. How did Peter know that Judas needed to be replaced? Simply put, God's leading and his purposes singing in Scripture. Jesus was no longer with them, giving them personal direction. He was no longer walking beside them, um, telling them where to go and what to do. But they were not without the leading of the Lord. Why? Because alongside praying, they had the word of God. I heard someone say recently that everything we can know about God and his life and, and his teaching and his purposes come from one place primarily, and that is Scripture. And we have that access today. The word of God was foundational to the early church. And I believe that is so true of us today. And that's why we preach through scripture every week. This this passage also teaches about inspiration. That it was written by the Holy Spirit through people throughout all the ages. So it was written by God. And it always stands the test of time. And it always comes to pass as God wills. And Peter had mentioned two psalms in this, Psalm 69.15 and 109.8 that predicted Judas. Judas was that fulfillment. But maybe you're asking the question, and I, I ask this question, did Judas ever have a choice in the matter? If, it, if what his fate was predicted early on, did he actually have a choice to betray Jesus or was that just set in stone? And as I thought about that, I I thought that, you know, I don't think it's the right question. I think we need to understand who God is, that he's all-knowing, and if he's all-knowing, then he would have already known the actions that Judas would have chosen, and I believe that Judas chose to betray Jesus. And God knew it because he knows the future, he knows the past, and he had written it in this book way before it ever happened. So the other question I that you might have is, okay, well, if Judas' fate is written in here, well, is my fate written in here? Like, does it mention my name? Does it, should I be worried? And your fate is written in here, but you don't need to be worried if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus. There's 10 things that I always want to list off that scripture tells you that you are in Christ that is found in scripture. And this is true of you. It might not be, this is not an exhaustive list, but here's what scripture tells you you are. You are a child of God and an heir with Christ, Romans 8, 17. 
You are not condemned by God, Romans 8.1. You are justified and redeemed, Romans 3.24. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You've been set free in Christ, Galatians 5.1. You are chosen, you're holy, you are blameless before God, Ephesians 1.4. You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. You're a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20. You're a friend of Jesus, John 15.15. You are loved by God, John 3.16. Your fate is in this book, and it's good news because of the gospel, which I think is actually a call for celebration and a call for worship to God. So the disciples, they saw God's will in Scripture, and they went to prayer. They proposed two people, Barsabas and Matthias, the cast lots, which is sort of an Old Testament way of determining God's will, but it's not necessary today because we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. When this passage happened, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit hadn't, hadn't come yet. And next week, Levi will talk about that. But casting lots is not something we do today because we have the Holy Spirit who guides, directs, and leads us in our decisions. So we've talked a bit about prayer and about Scripture So what does this actually mean for me today? I think that prayer and scripture in light of the resurrection are absolutely foundational practices that are relevant back then and they're relevant today. I would recommend that you engage in prayer. And it might be intimidating. I remember when I was in youth group and I was was new to following Christ and, and and we were in a room or in a circle and we're praying out loud and going around in a circle. I remember just being terrified. I remember at one point it got to my turn when I was too afraid. I remember Levi um, like nudging me a bit to pray and I just, I was too afraid. I couldn't. But what I learned later on is that God's not impressed with our elegant words. Instead, he's, he's impressed with our honesty and our true heart. So it doesn't matter if you, if, if it sounds like you can't have thoughts coming out of your, your mouth. It's, it's about being honest before God. And if you don't know how to pray, Jesus gives you an example. In, in Matthew chapter 6, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, which shows us how to pray to God. I was also talking to Colby this past week, who, who reminded me that, that the Psalms is a book of prayer. And that if we want to build a rhythm of, of learning how to pray, a great place to start is going to the book of Psalms and reading the prayers of, of King David and other people. But we're called as a church to pray with one another, to pray to God. Now at the moment we can't do that because of um, restrictions and stuff, but there's still other ways like Zoom. Like we can c- still unite together to pray. And the other thing I would suggest is, is reading scripture. And, and sometimes we can, we can think of that in terms of legalism and moralism. But I don't think you need to be guilty. Like if, if you choose a Bible reading plan and you miss a day, there's no guilt in that. I think instead, allow it to speak into your life. Don't make it moral. Make it so you're trying to find who God is. If you come to a passage and, and you're reading the Bible and, you, and, and Jesus starts maybe talking about money, be honest with it. Maybe I love money more than I love God. Okay, there's a starting place. 
I think God wants honesty as we come to his word because that's when, when he can actually do something in our heart. And, and don't just say, okay, I've realized that, I feel bad for it, um, but that's not your identity. Don't just say, okay, I'm the worst. No, it's you're loved and you're forgiven, you're redeemed. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. When you have those convictions as you come to scripture, allow the gospel to transform your life. Repent, which is this intense word for basically saying, turn away from that sin and, and run to Jesus. Ask for that forgiveness. Ask for that freedom. So does scripture have influence in your life? What does this mean then for us as a church, as a whole? I think we need to be a church united in prayer. That's how the early church operated. They prayed. As soon as Jesus ascended, they went straight to prayer. I love this quote from Oswald Chambers that says, prayer isn't just preparation for the work, it is the work. If, if we're truly a church in pursuit of unchurched people, in people that haven't heard the good news of the gospel, then we need to be unified in prayer for our city, for one another. And that's why I love our community groups. Our community groups are a place where, where we get to engage scripture, we get to learn from God, experience God in community, but also we get to spend time praying for one another and praying that, that people would come to know Jesus. So let's be a church then united in scripture. We believe that the gospel in that, that from the beginning we, our, our relationship from God was separated by our sin and then Jesus came down to redeem, to restore, to reconcile us to him. But the reason why we know that is because it's written in this book. And then we see life transformation because of it. I think a mark of the early church was that they were united in prayer. And they, they believed in God's leading through scripture. And I think we need to be a church united in prayer, united in the word of God and in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you that you love us and that we know that because your word tells us that you do. Lord, help us, um, help us to come to you honestly through prayer, Help us to come together to, in, in unison so that, that we can be on mission to reach people with your good news. I pray that, that your will would be done in, in Kelowna as it is in heaven. And, and Lord, that you just, you'd be with us, you'd be reminding us of who you are through your word and as we engage you with prayer. I pray this all in your name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.